The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. We don't yet know, I don't think, how that's going to develop long term. I think in the same way that traditional agriculture has a range of growers from the very, very large scale industrialized down to small sort of market gardeners at the other end of the scale, the ability for container farming platforms to, to fill some of those more flexible areas within that supply chain is really, really interesting. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 3, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, then you're in for a treat. This is the show where I interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. I was off last week. I was doing a bit of traveling across the country and uh, testing out some new camping gear with my partner. We made it through Nebraska, Colorado, South Dakota, and really had a nice uh, relaxing time. And it was important for me to take some time to uh, recharge and renew. And that's uh, what I'm excited to have done. And back in the saddle for this week's episode. Last week, I spoke to David Dennison, CEO of Cubic Farms. If you haven't listened to it, definitely check that one out. And this week I speak to Charlie Guy. He's the CEO and co-founder of Let Us Grow. Let Us Grow brings affordable food growing to the modern city through their patent-pending aeroponics technology. With a background in renewable energy and engineering design, Charlie is a proponent of tech for good and is passionate about all manners of sustainability. In this episode, we discuss the work Charlie is doing at Let Us Grow to connect greenhouses with vertical farms, the benefits of aeroponics, and technological advances that have been made in recent years. Finally, Charlie speaks to the connection between our food systems and our energy grids and shares what he's most excited about for the future of Let Us Grow and the overall ag tech industry. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Indoor AgCon. Whether you're starting up or scaling up, Indoor AgCon can help grow your vertical farming business. Live and in person this year, the premier trade show and conference for vertical farming and controlled environment agriculture heads to the Hilton, Orlando, October 4th through 5th. 
You'll be able to explore an expo floor filled with new product resources and business solutions, attend idea-packed educational sessions led by top CEOs and thought leaders, and connect with peers and potential business partners at their networking events. You can learn more and take advantage of early bird registration discounts at indoor.ag and also save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFPOD2021. Don't forget to sign up for the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. Each week, our team member Daniel brings you the latest and greatest in the world of vertical farming. Sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, please leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'll be sure to read yours out next. Couldn't resist the pun. Let's get started and learn more about Charlie and the Lettuce Factory. Charlie Guy, CEO and co-founder of Lettuce Grow. Thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Lovely. Thanks, Harry. Real pleasure to be here this evening. So where's home for you now? Yeah, so I'm based uh, in Bristol here in the UK, in the Southwest. Really, yeah, I guess exciting place to be for, for companies and maybe not on the map for for sort of global vertical farming yet, but uh, <laughs> really exciting stuff going on here in terms of local food production, food initiatives. I grew up DJing like actual vinyl and turntables. And so I, I follow like the electronic music scene pretty well. And there was a wave of DJs coming out of Bristol <laughs> years ago that I remember. Yeah, definitely. It's a really big music scene cultural scene here. a lot of influential yeah a lot of influential artists who still like yeah some of them live sort of just down the road so yeah good place to be. what's been the biggest thing that you miss since everything that's gone down with covid and us slowly getting out of this lockdown mm, i think yeah you've already nailed it it's the sort of <laughs> the the music yeah. and yeah going out and the sort of cultural aspects that make it such a vibrant place to to live here but then also being able to travel of course being able to see other places and yeah it's not been easy but i guess now we're starting to come out of things and yeah the pubs are open again here so yeah it's always a good sign it is always a good sign what was the impact i know there's there's been a range of things that have happened here in the states obviously across the world and you know countless business impacted lives lost and if you had to think about what's been some of the biggest takeaways for you either personally or, or, or for the company as a result of having gone through the, the past 12 months? Yeah, I guess personally, there's been a good sort of focusing on what's important in many ways in life. And yeah, you really notice when you, you can't see certain people that you just take for granted that you, yeah, you can you pop down the road and see or yeah, just uh, over in London or, or wherever they might be. Especially if you're a hugger. <laughs> Yeah, so it's <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the big things, I guess, personally, is the importance of that. Understanding the difference between working from home and working in the office, like, yeah, it's a huge part of my life. What we do, and yeah, when you're not, when you can't be in the office, that has a big impact on on your other well being as well. And, and yeah, so that's been again exciting recently for people to be back in the office um new faces new yeah like a lot of excitement for us so i guess yeah that's some of the the personal impacts and transitioning as they often do in in my sort of position into the work impacts i think for us as a business yeah that first instant adjustment to working from home and and that going very smoothly but then as time goes on you realize the the benefits of being in person collaboration all those things I think on a macro scale, the it's great now that, well, 
a lot of the issues in our food supply chains and, and in our food systems were brought to the fore with some of the shocks that, yeah, in the, the early months of the pandemic that it really brought conversations out of supermarket boardrooms and into people's dining rooms and into people's, yeah, around people's kitchen tables. So that's been something that's been really interesting to come out of this is seeing those conversations become more part of the mainstream. Yeah, I think they're probably the main ones. I've, I guess the other big one actually for me is seeing the potential of, of people to, to work together and, and solve huge problems. And yeah, the response of, I guess, the whole world of working together towards solving a very difficult problem and that level of collaboration, which I guess when we look at the, the big climate change issues coming down the track is going to be needed and more. Yeah, it seems like the topic is top of mind for this new administration in the U.S. So we're, we're, I think we're back on board <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world in terms of making that something that's important. Interestingly enough, the conversation with past guests has been around that topic of right place for this technology at the right time. And I, I mean, I, I couldn't have planned to have launched this podcast. <laughs> that I mean, I, I literally was thinking about it before COVID, but as I was just getting ready to launch, it hit, and my third interview was with someone, was actually with David Farkar from IGS in Scotland during COVID, and so I wasn't even sure if he was going to be on, but it just was interesting how now, as I've been having more of these conversations, we're in season three now, this awareness that this access to food, access to local fresh food, food, the concept of food deserts, and I think these are things that people took for granted that, you know, can have their their grocery store or their mart down the street, but it's maybe out of sight, out of mind, but we don't realize there are communities of people that don't have access to fresh food that only get, you know, here in the States, it's the junk food chains. <laughs> That's their, their closest source of any sort of anything resembling nutrition. So I think people are waking up to it. And I think it seems like a, everyone in this industry is poised and they're at the right time. And all the work that you've been doing up until now is, I would imagine, is starting to pay off. Yeah, definitely. It's some of these conversations that I guess were happening before have really been brought into the limelight. And yeah, these issues that were underlying are now being, yeah, being raised and people are talking about them. And yeah, as a technology, it's, it puts us, uh, I guess, a, a way of changing the food system or augmenting it. It puts us in a really exciting place with, yeah, a lot of opportunity ahead of us. So when did this come on your radar prior to Let Us Grow? I know you've got an engineering background. And so when did these technologies sort did you start to become aware of them? Yeah, I was made aware of them through some local initiatives here, actually. And for me, it was I was getting involved in the sort of food waste issue and looking at yeah how much waste was coming out of different, I guess, places locally, be that supermarkets or restaurants or they understand food waste in the home and yeah it was through looking at the, the sort of inefficiencies in the food system that i started to really get become aware of i guess this, this technology i think like most people it's often we find the way it's, it's through aquaponics is often the first it's often the first thing that people hear of and yeah i think just i guess the beauty of that system in terms of the the symbiotic nature of the plants and the fish opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that yeah you can grow plants in a different way in a way that doesn't require soil so that was sort of yeah the first first sort of 
times I'd I got involved in it, and that was whilst I was yeah whilst I was studying. And so, how do you think about the idea for taking what you're seeing, what's happening? I imagine from an engineering perspective, some of that it is probably caught your eye and was interesting to you. But then, how do you make the leap and talk about those early conversations with your co-founder? How you decide to get together and realize that this is, might be a business? Yeah, so it was founded by myself, Jack, and Ben. And so Ben is also engineering background. Jack's a plant biologist. So yeah, it was those conversations between us. Um, Jack was looking into ways of yeah, looking at how we can bring using hydroponics and bringing food to people's plates or to, to people locally in, in a different sort of way. Add in the sort of design thinking and systems thinking for myself and Ben. And yeah, we actually launched through a sort of local crowdfunder and campaign. Yeah. And sparked from there, really. And did you know the market that you wanted to go after in those early days? And who were you looking at other companies wide in terms of inspiration for what people were doing? Mm, so, very, very early days, we were looking at a whole range of markets, if we're honest. We were looking at the whole system and, and and where we would have the, the greatest possible impact. And yeah, we were looking at things all the way through from sort of small scale hydroponic growing at home through to, yeah, growing in large scale and sort of greenhouses and other technologies that could fit in to help improve that system. So yeah, I guess in short, probably no, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't at that time. Like my, background is in sustainable systems thinking and renewable energy and, and those sort of industries and, and was taking a look at the potential innovation in food was really exciting for me because there was a, a whole raft of areas and potential innovation that we could bring to the industry which yeah at that time hadn't really been done yet and that that for us i think is still a, a pretty wide open plane of opportunities i guess in terms of the possibilities of these sort of technologies. So for the benefit of the listener, can you explain what Lettuce Grow's current offerings are and the, and the markets you're currently serving? Yeah, of course. So yeah, Lettuce Grow, we're a technology company. So we provide technologies into indoor farms, be they vertical or greenhouses. And as part of that, the sort of main, the main technologies that we're developing are farm management solutions and a unique aeroponic technology that really maximizes farm output whilst minimizing the environmental impacts to make growing as sustainable as possible. So we've developed a unique aeroponic system that has no nozzles, uh, which is a common issue with high pressure aeroponics. And yeah, that's obviously been a, a core focus of, of what we do, but we've packaged all of these technologies up into container farms. So we've got the only available aeroponic container farms through our drop and grow platform on the market at the moment. And how long have you had uh, drop and grow the line there? When did that start? Yes, we launched drop and grow last year. It actually was, it wasn't born out of the pandemic, but it was an opportunity to accelerate that through to market to really simplify the journey of, of people getting involved in vertical farming to make it as easy as possible to become a grower. How much education was involved in terms of the markets you were going into? When people see this technology, are they familiar? You know, because I know Freight Farms does this in the States. And so it may be something that they've seen on the periphery. And then when they start digging in and looking at um, 
you're offering at Drop and Grow, how much education do you have to provide them and how much hands-on support? Because I, I would imagine, especially if it's someone who's, who's a first-time vertical farmer, right? Yeah, it really depends on, obviously, who they are. Um, so we work with a range of uh, people, all the way from people that are experienced in vertical farming, running their own farms, have been for, for multiple years, and, and we're providing technology and support to them, all the way through to first-time farmers, like you say, or traditional farms as well, who are going from the soil and traditional practices and yeah, learning a, a new way of doing things. And <laughs> I guess, we've, yeah, we've worked with uh, people, I guess, farmers, dairy farmers before, and, and it's a big change of, <laughs> a big change in terms of, yeah, the type of work. And often it's, yeah, it's met with uh, positivity because you're not having to worry about the weather, you're not having to worry about the time that you're getting up as much <laughs> because yeah obviously you can control that 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 time of day but a big part of what we do is is through our star platform which is yeah the software and the brains that, that control drop and grow and control and automate our our other offerings and that's about making the journey as easy as possible for for first-time growers preloading all the automation and the settings that they need and guiding them through the, the daily processes if they're if they're using a drop and grow and, and the task management and, and those type of things so we're really trying to make the technology and our products as accessible as, pro- as possible and the software is homegrown yep it's all developed in-house um, we it works for our systems but we're also able to control third-party systems as well so it's not unique to us in terms of how we can use it and integrate with other systems, but built in house. And do you see a difference in the learning curves from people that have had experience in traditional agriculture? Or is there a steeper learning curve because they have to break old habits? I'm wondering what you've noticed. Yeah, I think it does depend on the the individual in many ways. But ultimately we're yeah, the sort of processes and the from what we provide, I guess a lot of the the processes are not exceptionally complex once you've got all of the kit and all of the learnings that we're supporting people with. So we're there to, to guide them through the first sort of growing cycles and we, we do that on site with people. We yeah, we send experts from our team, our growers, to go and help people get up to speed. So we're really there sort of helping them in those first cycles. And then once they got that, we, we yeah, we're there on the end of the phone as needed to help them through it. But we let them uh, carve their own path at that point. And where do you see the opportunities for growth with that sector? Yeah, I think it's the opportunities are really based on how flexible containers are for as a platform for growing. And we don't yet know, I don't think, how that's going to develop long term. I think in the same way that traditional agriculture has a range of growers from the very very large scale industrialized down to small sort of market gardeners at the other end of the scale the ability for container farming platforms to to fill some of those more flexible areas within that supply chain is really really interesting so there's a yeah there's a whole raft of ways that it can go i think the other point is obviously really interesting is how robust a structure they can be so yeah they as we've seen already there's companies that have taken them down to the deepest coldest <laughs> regions of the planet and 
others that are operating them in yeah some of the harshest climates of the other end of the scale in terms of temperature so there's yeah i think what it comes down to is the the flexibility of that as a platform but you also have to acknowledge that it's limited in terms of the i guess the operational scale and that's why we're also focusing on yeah much larger automated systems using the same aeroponic technology providing the same yield uplifts that we've been able to show compared to hydroponics but at a, a much larger scale as well so we are acknowledging that yeah container farming is part of the mix are you tracking and measuring that difference that you just mentioned and are you talking publicly about like that difference in that you see over hydroponics yeah so it's as you'll be aware from i guess the other everyone you've spoken to through this podcast like data sharing and benchmarking and that side of the business is of the industry is in its let's say it's in its, in its infancy and we're working with other players other partners to really try and break that down i think ultimately as a technology provider we're keen to share and, and talk about the benefits of our systems um, so that other growers can share in that but understandably the sort of technology cross grower companies that i guess yeah there's quite a few of them that are in the world they can be much more protective over over that sort of data so we're at a point that yeah we talk pretty openly about those things and obviously the more that we do the more we work with our academic partners to to validate those sort of the performance that we're seeing the more we'll be talking about it and and we take a very open approach to working with academia we take an open approach to to trying to push the at the boundaries of the, the industry and move things forward for everyone you're also working on or systems or an approach to connect greenhouses with vertical farms can you talk a little bit about that as well yeah of course so we obviously vertical farming is the main focus of i guess <laughs> your work here but we do see a really important connection and acknowledgement of the value of high-tech greenhouses alongside vertical farms. And this then becomes, a, again, a geographical question, I guess a local market conditions question for which is the most appropriate technology for the, most, for the crop you're growing and the market you're growing it and the geography and the climate you're growing in as well. And yeah, the, again, it's an open playing field for how these two technologies are going to grow together. And they, for us, it's about finding where the greatest value is for vertical farms, where the greatest value is for greenhouse farms, but fundamentally providing core technologies for both that can increase yield of, of your crops, increase output of your facility and increase the efficiency of, of how you're doing things, whether that's on the software side or the using aeroponic technology. And are you seeing possibilities where there could be a, a hybrid approach that might make sense if people are using the best of both technologies given where they're, they're geographically located? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hybrid approach is there's already multi-tier greenhouses uh, in terms of, yeah, whether it's growing things like strawberries or there's greenhouses where you've got a, a lit lower tier and you benefit from the natural light with the upper tier the hybridization is yeah is key to it and that's really why the, the same aeroponic platform that we developed 
you can use in both a greenhouse and a vertical farm. So it's not unique to one of them. And I think that, yeah, in the same way that lots, you're seeing this transition to more, let's say, traditional greenhouse growers, their a lot of their interest in vertical farms is, is around how you can really improve, speed up, uh, improve the output, the quality, the nutrition of the early stage of growth, and then bring crops out into the natural light and benefit from the free sunlight that we're blessed with. So, yeah, it's about understanding the benefits of each system and where each is most appropriate. And does this lend itself well to the design and build work that you're now doing and that you alluded to earlier, where you're really looking at opportunities for custom um, installations at a much larger scale? Yeah, absolutely. So we, it's the same sort of area of work that we're, that we're working on. Um, we are building a network of technology partners and people that are already active in, let's say, the large-scale hydroponic space and showing them the benefits of integrating aeroponics into those large-scale systems. So yeah there's and that's saying that again we take an open approach to, to how we do these things we know where our strengths lie we know that people have already developed large-scale automation systems we don't need to reinvent the wheel there so we're looking to bring the benefits of our aeroponic technology into into that space for the benefit of the listener always looking for opportunities to educate folks because there's people that listen that are learning and new to vertical farming so when you describe or tell people about the benefits that are people that are used to just hearing hydroponics may be new to the concept of aeroponics. And so how do you describe that from a benefits perspective? Yeah, of course. Um, it's one of those that <laughs> when you're working day in, day out. Yeah. So aeroponics, for those that are new to it, instead of in the various hydroponic methods where often your roots are in a growing media or submerged in a nutrient solution, in aeroponics, the nutrient solution is turned into a, a gas, an aerosol phase, a mist, and that's applied to the roots as a, as a very fine spray. The big benefit of that from the plant's perspective is that it's experiencing something which is much more like soil than hydroponics um, because you can, you've got a much greater access for the roots to oxygen, to carbon dioxide, to be able to respire much more efficiently in that environment than they might in say a flood and drain system a, a sort of deep or shallow water culture system where the roots are not generally in the environment they're used to they're submerged in the water they adapt to that as plants do but with aeroponics you've effectively got this additional lever that you can pull in terms of how much of a solution you apply to the roots and how you control that so it means that you can yeah, encourage the plant to, to grow faster and grow with less um, diseases because you can keep the, the growing media much drier if you have a growing media. And yeah, there's a lot of other sort of advances that you can make in terms of, of health or stressing the plant in different ways that you can't necessarily do with a, a hydroponic system. Are you seeing an interest in folks that are in hydroponics inquiring more about the aeroponics technology? Yeah, for sure. I think part of that is driven by, I guess, some of the the problems that farmers are seeing, whether that's they might have yeah, certain, sometimes you get an algal issue or, or, or something like that, and you have a very wet 
growing media and you're wondering how can we reduce this and, and aeroponics is one way that you can reduce that because you're just applying the moisture to the roots or you've got growers that are yeah looking to push the yields up and that's where yeah looking at aeroponics as a way to do that is, is a really a really good step to to see if you can get more out of your current facility and that's i guess coming back to the, the sort of greenhouse side of things that's that's the, the work that we've been doing in vertical farms and now taking that aeroponic method to greenhouses and and yeah looking at the impacts throughout the season of those those improvements that we've seen in in vertical farming yeah i think it i had just assumed that there was benefits but i think the way you've described it how it, it mimics better the conditions of what the plant experiences in soil, I think is a great way to put it. And something that may be obvious to people, but the fact that you mentioned that they're in a medium when they're in hydroponics that they're not used to because uh, you know, historically most of these plants have been grown in soil. So I, th- I think that was an important distinction. Is Are there a lot of advancements being made in aeroponics itself in terms of the technology or ways to actually deliver it? It's still, I guess, compared to the use the widespread use of hydroponics is there's less being done in aeroponics. And I think that fundamentally comes down to the difficulties of setting up high pressure aeroponic systems, which is the the norm. So yeah, it's not the most accessible technology. Um, it's not the easiest technology to scale up if you're building a high pressure system. Whereas our aeroponics at Let Us Grow is pretty much as as simple from a I guess building the the farm perspective as a hydroponic setup because of the unique way that we do things aeroponically so we've made that much more accessible and again that's something that we're hoping will help push the boundaries of what's possible and encourage more people to be using aeroponics and yeah pushing it as a a technology and what changes since you started have you seen in terms of the types of crops that you can actually grow indoors yeah, so I guess as many people started with sort of leafy greens, microgreens, those type of crops over the years, we've yeah grown things like strawberries, tomatoes. We're doing a fair bit of work at the moment. Things like carrots, which when we talk about crops that are used to being in soil and then suddenly they're growing in thin air, it's a bit of a <laughs> yeah they will be. Are they special seed varieties to grow shorter or are they baby carrots? Yeah, we experimented with the baby carrots. We haven't grown any sort of any of those meter long <laughs> carrots that you see people yeah growing yet. But um it's about yeah, showing the possibilities of what's yeah, what's possible in technology and yeah, potatoes and seed potatoes are one of the best known crops in terms of their usage in aeroponics on a sort of global scale. How They're, large are they? So I guess the, the tubers for seed potatoes are, are yeah, much smaller, I guess, in about a couple of centimetres across, an okay. inch at their most. Depends on the variety. But yeah, it's a really interesting use case of aeroponics where you can provide, obviously, within, within potatoes, um, soil-borne diseases are a real issue. And if you've got disease in your seed, then obviously that can proliferate through a whole crop. So aeroponics provides a way of providing clean, disease-free seeds. And it's the same, well, the beauty of growing an aeroponic is you can you can pick them like a fruit, which is just a bit, uh, yeah, a bit mind-blowing. You don't have to kill the plant up top. 
but the other the same principle within that of providing clean disease-free rootstock or seeds uh, in the potato case is what we're taking and, and applying to other crops as well so we're working at the moment with things like fruit trees we've worked in other trees for forestry in the past that yeah using aeroponics as a way of helping to clone and propagate crops that may then be planted down into into soil so you're germinating and starting the seedlings indoors yeah whether that's from seed or mainly propagating from from cuttings the potato challenge is interesting because of the weight of them as well and naturally they're they're normally grown in the ground and so i would imagine there's a different engineering challenge <laughs> just as they grow indoors as well yeah it's a different a different i guess volume of space and a different yeah architecture for the plants but that's part of the part of the thing with aeroponics is in the same way that you've got different hydroponic systems, different types of hydroponics for different types of crops that are best suited, that it's the same with aeroponics that you can vary that. And are you seeing other opportunities for to test out new varieties or new crops? Yeah, absolutely. All the time we've got either inquiries coming in or part of our internal research streams to be yeah, looking at new crops. I think it's one of the I don't want to call it a problem, but the <laughs> The, I guess, double-edged sword, let's call it that, of the vertical farming and the nascency of the industry is that there's so much opportunity. There's so there's infinite possibilities of crops and varieties that can be grown. There's a need to obviously work through those incrementally. And yeah, that's obviously a, a focus challenge for companies like ourselves in terms of making sure that, yeah, we're focusing on the right crops at the right time and then moving on to new exciting ones. You had a recent blog post or post on the site about the energy grids, and it's something you wrote about. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what was the impetus for that topic and what you were covering there. Yeah, so I guess my background is renewable energy, and, and I imagine that probably came comes through in the the blog that I, I wrote on this. And for me, that there's a big disconnect between our food systems and our energy systems be that electrical energy or energy that goes into transporting produce around the world and the actual food item. There's a quite a big disconnect between the efforts and yeah, the overall energy that goes into producing that and the end product. And I think that's something that if we're addressing the the big problems that we need to in climate and environmental issues, then we need to start looking at food and energy in, in a more joined up way. And that's really the, the basis for, for this piece that I, that I wrote recently and, and explores this in, a, in a, yeah, a bit more detail. And what were some of the takeaways from that post? Yeah, so I guess looking at how we can join up thinking a bit more. And we work with a renewable energy company called Octopus Energy here in the UK. And when you think about the vertical farming picture and the renewable energy piece, for me, there's no point building a vertical farm unless you're using renewable energy. I'll state that clearly. It's it's not a good use of of anyone's yeah time if you're or in terms of the I guess the yeah the fundamental sustainability of it. If you're not using renewable energy, then we're burning coal to power lights to grow plants. Like that's that's not what we're doing. It just makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a piece that 
yeah, needs to be talked about more in the industry. I know Henry Agritecture, who yeah, I'm sure you, you've spoken to. Yeah, he's been on, yeah. He, yeah, he talks about this a fair bit and we need to look at the holistic sustainability behind vertical farming and we need to talk about these things openly. So, yeah, and, and I feel like it's a, I don't know if it's a dirty little secret or a dirty big secret <laughs> or, you know, that and then the conversation around the, um, the plastics as well. So I think those are two topics that keep coming up. And and I think to your point, the more people that are talking about them out in the open, I think is is healthy for the industry. It definitely and it comes back to the, the point we talked about earlier with data and transparency and yeah, a way of comparing and benchmarking different technologies, which will develop and as the industry matures, like we've got to acknowledge that this industry has grown very, very quickly in a very short space of time. And there's a huge amount going on, a huge amount of innovation, a huge amount of exciting things going on in all around the world. And yeah, that sort of consolidation of ideas and frameworks and benchmarks will come. Right? And there's work going on, there's collaborations going on to, to encourage that and to foster that. But I guess, yeah, we're going down a, <laughs> an avenue from where we started with, with thinking about food and energy. But so taking it back to that, the, I guess, benefits of this joined up thinking, whether it's within the industry or with the energy industry, huge, substantial, like really massive. Like as we get more renewables onto the grid, more wind, which, as you mentioned earlier, the US is is now leading into hopefully quite a lot. Like yeah. the more wind on the grid, the cheaper our electricity, especially at nighttime when it's much windier, and you can turn your vertical farms on at night using cheap renewables. And that completely flips both the sustainability piece, obviously if you're burning fossil fuels to power you, sure. and it, it flips your economics as well into such a, a more positive place. It makes, like, it's the, the movement of renewables and vertical farm together, which is what makes it a sustainable technology. Where do you see the opportunities for innovation in this space or what has you the most hopeful? I think there's a huge room for innovation still in the business models that will allow widespread adoption of vertical farms. I think it's holding the industry back in some ways. There's some exciting things going on in terms of reducing the sort of the barriers to entry, be they capital, often capital, that, yeah, there's a, a lot of innovation there, a lot of financial innovation, a lot of, I guess, policy innovation that is currently lagging behind the technical innovations. The technologies are, are now here. We've got them here very quickly, but the adoption is currently not moving as fast as it could do because there's other barriers to entry. And that can be things as, as much as sort of planning laws. and acknowledgement of yeah the technology and, and how that fits into local planning laws things like that and things like certification and the sort of organics debate as well which is less of a debate in the us but much more one here where yeah produce certification produce branding that can tell the sustainability story of the industry can really unlock yeah a lot more i guess widespread knowledge and that in turn from the consumer angle can help drive the growth of the industry so 
yeah, I'm not saying there's not technological innovation to do. <laughs> there's the yeah, a lot in terms of automation and useful machine vision instead of machine vision for the sake of it and useful sensing that yeah is appropriate to the facilities that you're in and appropriate to the the insights that they're able to derive but i think most of the innovation that really excites me is what well most of the potential for innovation is within yeah the broader aspects of the industry in terms of yeah the things that are limiting the growth because technology is not limiting the growth of them that's a good point yeah do you see information sharing with colleagues with others in the industry just in the time that uh you've been running let us grow and are there opportunities for improvement there yeah i I think there are there's a level of reluctance to share information still there's i'm not saying that's that's completely understandable it's not (laughs) there's, there's a good amount of competition in the industry and which drives yeah certain things to be kept secret and yeah. to be shared but we need to find the frameworks and the pre-competitive spaces where things that benefit the whole industry can be talked about and shared and yeah because the opportunity is so large in terms of our food systems and the size of the various fresh produce markets globally i think there's room for those pre-competitive spaces so yeah it's something that i'm i guess i'm involved in the UK, in UK UAT, which is the UK Urban Ag Tech Group, which is, I won't say predominantly, but has a lot of vertical farming companies within that. So I'm on the one of the founding members on, on the advisory board there. And, and we're trying to generate these spaces where people can collaborate in a less competitive space. So there's, yeah, there's room for that locally and there's room for that on a global scale as well. Is there anything happening in the space that would be akin to what we saw in the uh, tech space with like open source or Linux <laughs> varieties of things of that nature? Yeah, I think where that there are some open source movements in terms of software, in terms of the hardware. I guess it's a bit less easy than with something like Linux and, and a software platform yeah. due to the the got to acknowledge the infrastructural elements of, of vertical farming and indoor farming so i think yeah one of the interesting ones a, b- a bit further down the track will be around seeds and seed varieties and how the traditional models in seed varieties might be disrupted by the advent of more vertical farms or more indoor farms and i think that's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out and there are various companies of course developing um yeah developing specific seeds and specific varieties for vertical farms so it'll be interesting how those become commercialized and how open that is what are the things that you're thinking about at let us grow given where you've come to in this point of the company's journey and the future and, and where you see possibilities for growth and the things that have you excited on a company level so we're, I mean, we're really excited about the the opportunities in large scale horticulture and and yeah, the large scale aeroponic systems, as well as the opportunities within let's call it digital horticulture, the opportunities for providing smart systems, smart insights through our Star platform, whether that's in vertical farms, in greenhouses, in advanced polytunnels, even, and the ability to share information between these 
different levels of controlled environment because that's really like we've seen some of the recent large investments into greenhouses and i think you can't deny that that's linked to the growth of the virtual farming industry and the trickle both the learnings from Greek, from those that have been growing greenhouses for a very long time and the trickle-down technologies that can come from vertical farming into that space are really, really exciting. And the trends that we're seeing for more control, whether that's plastic greenhouses upgrading to glass, like whether that's someone transitioning from growing uncovered traditional soil and covering certain areas of their crop, this general trend to i guess limit the impact of inclement weather on farming is going to keep growing that, that's that's not going away and at the top end of that is your is your fully automated highly controlled vertical farm but there's a whole host of opportunities all the way down that spectrum of of controlled environment where digital solutions be they smart sense platforms that provide unique insights or their learnings that have come from a vertical farm that you can then apply in terms of your process to a, a lower tech environment. That for me is super exciting how all of these interplay. And that's really why we aren't pigeonholed as a vertical farming company. We're looking to add value across the horticultural supply chain with technology. It probably would have made it sense for me to name the show the Controlled Environment Agricultural <laughs> <laughs> Podcast, but it doesn't sound as as sexy as <laughs> it doesn't. And I think that term has grown in popularity since it we launched is. the podcast. Yeah, I, yeah. It's become yeah more widespread. Whereas yeah, I guess it's one of those. As I said, the technology is moving so quickly, but other like even the language isn't moving as quickly as maybe the technology. So. Yeah, it, it's definitely not as, as sexy a, a phrase. It doesn't yeah, yeah. come as well, does it? <laughs> I was speaking to uh, John Purcell of Unfold, and he mentioned that uh, he's he told his you know his daughters like you know he knows that he's in vertical farming now, and and then she said something along the lines of like, "Oh, you're cool, or you're doing something cool now," <laughs> just because of the term you know of the industry that he's in now. So yeah, I mean, it's I guess the the word zeitgeist does come to mind, but that's because the industry that working in is is touching on so many current themes like back to where we started the, the conversation with covid and food supply chains and the disruption we've seen there through to to water shortages and biodiversity impacts of, of farming we're we're really yeah operating in a space that impacts a lot of themes that are in the public consciousness at the moment so putting on your now management hat if you think about where the challenges are that you have as a leader and is there anything that's different in terms of how you think about running a company like this based on conceptions you had when you first got started and what you've learned now since then <laughs> i think from where we first started to to where i am now a lot has changed uh, i've learned a lot quickly and there's a, yeah there's still a lot to learn i think the last year has obviously thrown up its own unexpected unique challenges and that importance of place of community be that our research centers our labs our our workshops our offices is something that yeah when you you hold up in your in your bedroom or your home office then uh, yeah you're further away from that and as a leader i think that really needs to be front and center the impact of of that so yeah it's something that we've worked through as a business the challenges of 
distance, but there's a huge amount of yeah excitement within our team that are obviously we've had people in who've needed to throughout the pandemic, but there's a huge amount of excitement and recognition across our teams of the benefits of being in the same place, tackling these problems head on together and collaborating and innovating together. Yeah, this theme of uh, community has been top of mind for a lot of folks recently, I think, because of the absence of it <laughs> over the past year. So what does that word mean to you? That's a really good question. <laughs> community, I think it's that sense of, I'm trying to answer it without saying the word communal, but that sense of collective belonging and collective connection, I guess. That connection with people and what that brings and enriches your life with that's way beyond just the life that you lead when you're digitally connected. You can have obviously good digital communities and we're speaking across the world right now, (laughs) but there's something missing from a, a human perspective. Uh, you don't get when you're talking through a screen compared to when you're in a, an active community and you've got diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds, yeah, diversity of, I guess, approaches and, and all of those things, which together forms, I guess, that feeling of community. Yeah, that's important. What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? I think the tough questions that we are asking and thinking about are those that we touched on earlier with regards to holistic sustainability and environment and and those things. But I'm I'm confident that we've got the right answers for those. And, and as a business, we're operating entirely on renewable energy. We refer all of our customers through to renewable energy suppliers. And yeah, I think that people are asking the questions about energy usage and that is it is a question that as i said earlier needs to be talked about openly so it's one of them i think there's yeah on a more personal note i guess yeah questions around how we safely return to the office and encourage that community and make that yeah the positive melting pot of everything that was in place before covid and bring people back safely and, and yeah like obviously it's for us for me as a, a business owner co-founder of the company it's something that i care deeply about making sure that yeah we can operate in a safe way but in a way that encourages all of this yeah collaboration and, and innovation and and those ideas are you looking forward to getting back to the conferences i am yeah i think there's i've attended various online ones it's it's not the same <laughs> no one's nailed that i thought at one point i was on one and someone had but then there was the sort of yeah chat roulette yes yeah, which <laughs> yeah it's not quite the same but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward to reconnecting with people that i haven't seen in a long time and and yeah working on those sort of collaborations and, and those conversations that if runners do sometimes only spark at, at these events and you can generate them in a, in a digital world but it yeah there's sometimes at an event having a few beers afterwards and catching up with someone you haven't for a long time and yeah that can lead to really, really exciting things so yeah looking forward to that i've definitely been there's a few events in the u.s that I was hoping to come to either last year or, or this year, which unfortunately 
not possible. But yeah, looking forward to those and some of those in Holland as well. Yeah, I think as we start to make our way out of this, everyone's uh, looking forward to that human connection that we didn't realize we needed <laughs> until we went a year plus without it. it. Sort of circles back to that idea of bringing community on a smaller scale, but and then also the industry itself. I think there's some value in in getting those meeting of the minds happening at least once or twice a year. So I think that's going to be a good thing for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it a lot. And yeah, looking forward to, I guess, people within our team getting out to those events that, yeah, that might not have done before. And we're, as a business, we're now much more open. We're able to open, luckily, in the UK to to more visitors. And then it's been really, really great bringing people back onto the site over the last few months. And it's that same feeling that, that we'll get at these sort of events. So yeah, it's exciting to be able to bring people in and show them what we've been working on over the last few years. Well, Charlie, I'm glad we got the chance to connect. Uh, we initially connected a while ago, and then we had a couple of email exchanges back and forth, and we were able to restart that conversation and, and now have you on the show. So, you know, looking forward to continued success with Let Us Grow, and, and I appreciate you sharing the story of the company and of yourself with the audience. No, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad we we managed to <laughs> arrange it, Harry. Yeah, after a bit of a break, but um, yeah, it's been a pleasure and yeah, I really encourage anyone listening if they're, they're interested in finding out more to to contact us or or come through. Yeah, come through you, whatever easiest. Best place for folks to connect with you? Yeah, best place would be our website www.letusgrow.com, and yeah, that is by far the best place. Or I guess personally, yeah, on LinkedIn, likewise. Okay, we'll make sure we have all those links in the show notes as well. Thanks again for your time, Charlie. Brilliant. Thanks, Harry. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks again to Charlie for coming on the show and sharing his story. Full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks to our Season 3 title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking for a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Also, don't forget to learn more and take advantage of early bird registration for Indoor AgCon. You can save an additional $100 off with our promo code VFPOD2021, and that's at indoor.ag, and all the details will be in the show notes as well. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP, and we'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Tune in next episode for my long-awaited and anticipated interview with Hiroki Koga, CEO of Oishi Berry, definitely making a splash in the world of vertical farming with their premium omakase strawberries. Looking forward to that. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published. 